Hi, this is Becky Schirmerhorn and Jessica Tess with Most Certainly True. Welcome to our special Christmas episode. Today we are taking a closer look at how the Word becomes flesh and what this means for our Christmas celebrations. Dear God, help us to focus on you this season, remembering that the gift of Christ, Emmanuel, is our most treasured gift of the whole year through. Fill us with your joy and the peace of your spirit. Direct our hearts and minds towards you. Thank you for your reminder that both in seasons of celebration and in seasons of brokenness, that you're still with us. You never leave us. Thank you for your daily presence in our lives that we can be assured your heart is towards us. Your eyes are over us and your ears are open to our prayers. Thank you that you surround us with favor as with a shield. We are safe in your care. We choose to press in close to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. What's your favorite Christmas hymn? Favorite Christmas hymn. You know, I, I I view them differently now than I, I may have once. You know, now uh, when it comes time for the the children's services to hear the kids' voices singing uh, those hymns brings a, a special meaning to them. Uh, that you know, whether whether they're appreciating all the deep theology, just just something about this angelic little choir uh, that is singing God's praises and and. Um, Preaching the message um, through song is a is a special thing. So so any one of those, um, but you know from a, from heaven above to earth I come is is hard to beat when it comes to you know somebody putting theology to music and, and what's the whole point of it all. I don't think I could like hum that one. Do would I know it if I heard it? Okay, yeah, you know that. I like the story. Mm-hmm. I 
enjoy the tune. <laughs> it's just a beautiful part of the Christmas Christmas story. What do you think of when you think about Christmas? Candy canes, gingerbread, a manger scene filled with straw, animals, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and wise men, and of course, a baby Jesus. Maybe you picture things like holiday coffee cups and controversy, parades, red and green color combinations, presents, and penguins and scarves. Perhaps you begin to hear the fullness of the horns and voices in a church service as the first Noel swells to the last verse and your eyes tingle. You know a tear is soon to follow. Can all of these things be part of the same Christmas celebration? Are some secular and therefore have no part in how we celebrate? There is a battle that happens every year, a battle between the secular celebrations during a spiritual holy day, or holiday as the world likes to say it. What side is winning? Does it change year to year? What are we supposed to do about it as Christians? Well, we are going to offer you an answer to that battle in this podcast. We have some scripture readings, some new songs, prayers, and of course, a fantastic guest. Also, a special thank you to the musical group Salos for permission to use their song Ex Paradiso. As well as the moms from Moms Group, Mariah, Sarah, Kirsten, Anna, and Kristen, for helping us with the scripture readings. Welcome to the show, and we hope you enjoy. Good morning, good morning. Hey, have a great day. Good morning. Good morning. Q. Pastor Schrader. Pastor Schrader is one of the pastors at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Wauwatosa. An Appleton native, he enjoys hunting and fishing. He oversees Sunday school, confirmation class, youth ministry, and adult Bible study, or a comprehensive cradle-to-grave discipleship program, as some might call it. And in fact, that is exactly what St. John's calls it. Jess and I see him most days, coffee cup in hand, always, opening the door for school children and their families. Pastor Schrader has a smile on his face come rain, sleet, snow, or sunshine. One thing about Pastor Schrader that you'll notice is that he's always willing to help, like with this podcast. You can see him encouraging young parents at events like bedtime blessings to raise up their kids in the ways of the Lord by recommending devotion books and parenting resources. And once you get to talking to him, you see and hear his love for Jesus. A gentle twinkle in the eye and a small smirk as he delivers the good news of Christ in each gospel-packed sentence. Before we could discuss with him the battle of commercialism that accompanies this season, we needed to take things one step at a time. Christ's humiliation. And yeah, Nick and Otto were along for the ride. You'll hear them clomping about as if they were wearing grown man boots. We didn't realize they would be so loud. Just try to ignore them. Sure, sure. We can start with with a definition, and the catechism definition that I always want the 7th and 8th graders to know is that for a time, Jesus set aside the full use of his divine power and glory in order to accomplish our redemption. And, and you know, what, what really blows our mind, we can, we can stop and think about that starting at Jesus' birth, but I think we miss out on something because we forget about those nine months leading up to his birth. That his, oh. in, that his incarnation really began with his conception. And so you think about this huge 
you know, we, we don't celebrate that in March 25th like, like we ought to, but you think about the whole fullness of God for, for a brief moment being contained in one cell. And then that cell starts to multiply and, and, and form just like, uh, just like we did. But, but God hiding himself and, and God containing himself um, in, in that infant, you know, infinitesimally small point uh, in order to accomplish our redemption. I think you just made a new church holiday. You know, actually, I was just uh, in Spain last week, and um, they're highly Catholic. Mm-hmm. And there was the celebration of Immaculate Conception. Yep. Like, that's a holiday. And, like, I think they had off of work. And... Yeah, and, and the sometimes called the Annunciation uh, in, in our, you know, in our Lutheran tradition. But, so yeah, did that, you celebrate it, and you didn't make well, it? Well, it's, it's there. It's, it's, not, it's not celebrated like it should right. be. Um, yeah, and, and the, the Roman Catholic uh, tradition might be more to elevate Mary's right, role in that right, yeah. rather than, you know, what, what Jesus was willing to become. Hebrews 2, verse 5 through 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, I think just to, to think about the relationship itself as a gift uh, is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that Jesus came to not only to, to forge a relationship with humanity, but to restore it to what God initially intended all along. That, that back in, you know, we go back all the way to Genesis and, and God handmade Adam. And then, you know, Eve comes literally out of, out of Adam, you know, from, from a rib and, and God brings them together. And then God sets aside the seventh day to, to finish his creative work and spend it in fellowship and relationship with, with his creation. And then, of course, sin comes in and breaks all that. Uh, so, so 
man's relationship with God is fractured and man's relationship with one another is fractured. And so for Jesus to come and use these words, you know, these relational words, like he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Uh, what a significant thing that is that, that you know, God would, would take people who have rebelled against him and an entire race that, that is opposed to him and he would want to restore that fellowship with us. But all that is, you know, comes along. It's a package deal with, with forgiveness and and faith and and redemption. Is is that relationship that you know, we look forward to celebrating perfectly for all eternity when we get to heaven and we get to see God face to face. We get to know that all of our loved ones. You know, we we think about getting together for the holidays, and there's always those people that you maybe we're nervous about seeing because we know there's tension in our relationships and, and in heaven we look forward to that time where we'll just we'll be closer there with everyone than we are with anyone here and now
talked in terms of relationship right and and how how do you gauge the strength of a relationship it's it's based on the communication right where if if there's a husband and a wife that that stop talking that's that's a bad sign um you know and and this is where god is expressing himself and his character and his his desire for relationship with people and all that is wrapped up in in logos it's it's communication so the way that God communicates, Hebrews, you know, Hebrews at the very beginning of Hebrews, it, it sums it up this way. In the past, God spoke to us, you know, in, in various ways, you know, through various people. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the lugus. This is God communicating who he is and, and his love for us in a person, uh, in, in, in human flesh and blood. Um, so yeah, this is all way above our pay grade when we try to define it and we try to, we try to think, well, how can he be fully God and fully man? And how can there be three persons in one God? But, uh, yeah, this, this logos, it's, it's communication. It's the expression of relationship. It is, it is, uh, the power and the character of God revealed in, in flesh. Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, 
This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. It just opens so differently, I guess, than Luke and Matthew. Oh, very and much so. I, you yeah. know, and then Mark. Yeah, we, we call Matthew Mark. Sorry to interrupt. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels. Uh, and that's a word that means just seeing together. So they're very, in, in different ways and with, with slightly different emphases and perspectives, uh, they're, they're reporting the details. And then along comes John, written years after the others. And John rounds it out in a way that adds this depth of thought and this almost almost philosophical aspect and, and this you know behind the scenes meaning of of what's going on and, and the significance of the birth of Christ. So, uh, yeah, it all connects back to Genesis. I think there's a parallel here that that John starts in the beginning. Uh, he goes he goes back to that that creation and the, the, the triune God being there even before creation, but then speaking things into action. And now with this New Testament uh, approach we have, yeah, we have God speaking through the birth, uh, the incarnation of his son. Okay. It's the gospel message in, in flesh and blood. Chapter 1, 26-38 In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin... The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. God loved us so much. What did he do? He gave. And how amazing is that? God loved us and he gave. He gave himself to us as Jesus Christ so that we may live and have eternal life. God didn't just tell us what we had to do to have eternal life. He gave us himself as a sacrifice for our own eternal life. He humiliated himself to be born as a baby, and even before that, as Pastor Schrader points out, he humbled himself to start off as a tiny little cell. Yet, there's glory in that humility, a paradox that Pastor Schrader goes on to describe for us. 
It, it is. And, and there are different different ways that one might view those words. Where, yeah, John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, you know, he, he could be talking about just the glory of the big picture of it all, uh, the glory of God hiding himself and, and God setting aside his his the full use of his power and glory to save us, the glory of this gospel plan. Or, you know, remember, John is an eyewitness, too. And John was there to see, for instance, the transfiguration of Jesus and, and to catch that, that visible glimpse of, of who he really is that, that was hidden most of the time. You know, John is also a, a witness of the resurrection. And so when we talk about humiliation of Jesus, we also pair that up with his exaltation, where Jesus took back the full use of his power and glory, you know, starting with his descent into hell and his, uh, his resurrection from the dead. So John got to see that, too. So it wasn't as if the only, if we want to say, side of Jesus John saw was, was the humiliation part. He also got to see glimpses of the exaltation as well. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. There is more to this gift than meets the eye. The Word became flesh. The incarnate took on a human body to be sacrificed, to die for you. A human body to bleed for you. To be put on the cross and raised again from the dead in three days' time for you. In this reason, God made himself last for us. He loved us so much that he had to give himself to take on that body in fullness and totality and completeness. This gift is the hinge on which your life swings. Jesus is the hinge that turns our whole purpose from selfish to selfless. This gift is what makes our life have meaning and become meaningful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the beautiful thing is uh, that that Jesus, yeah, Jesus did everything right. You know, Jesus did everything the way God wants us to do it. And it wasn't just 
as a model for us to follow. It was as a, a perfect substitute for us. So that by the time Jesus has completed his work and, and he's died and he's risen and he's, he's suffered and he's, he's paid the price for us, uh, we, can, we can look to him and, and see, well, that's what God sees of me now through the, the faith that I've been given, that faith connection in Jesus that, and, and baptism. Um, you know, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Just that picture of being completely covered up in, in everything that Jesus did. We asked Pastor Schrader if he had any other insights for us about the passage from John. He had some incredibly insightful tidbits to tell us about this gift as body. A reminder that Jesus' time on earth wasn't permanent, and neither will our time be here on earth. We mentioned verse 14 already, the beginning of that. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Um, that word dwelling there, you may have heard this before, but there's... When we think of a dwelling, we might think of you know digging a foundation and putting up walls and then putting a, a, a roof on it and it's got an address and everything. Uh, but the Greek word here that's you know he made his dwelling among us is has the idea of a tent. Uh, so that you know Jesus knew coming in that this was going to be a temporary stay. Yeah, wasn't permanent. Right, right, and so I think. You know, when, when you introduced the conversation, we talked about uh, a little bit about the, the pull of materialism and, and worldliness. And, and that's a great reminder that, again, Jesus, Jesus came into the world, but he never got attached to the world. Uh, he got attached mm-hmm. to what is eternal, and, and that is the souls of, of the people that he came to save. And so he was, he was always looking ahead to what God's real plan is rather than just this, this short time that we get to spend between birth and death. Uh, Jesus is focused on eternity that whole time. Luke 2, verse 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. 
and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Not only did God give himself to us as a physical body meant as our atonement, he also gave himself to us in his word. He revealed himself to us through that word. He gave us Jesus and told us what he himself was like through scripture. No other religion does this. We have a God that gave himself to us and then told us about it in his word. We asked Pastor Schrader how reading the word connects us to this Christmas season. Also, excuse the crunching sounds. Otto had some checks, and Nick was stealing them from him. Both managed to get close enough to the mic to pick it up. I think, I think the big thing in, in connecting, well, obviously, it's, it's a good, good thing to connect Bible reading to Jesus. Yeah. That, that, that's what it's all about, Step right? So, so sometimes, you know, you might think, well, where in the Bible does it talk about Jesus? And, and, you know, the little kids, if, if they know what the basic structure of the Bible is, they're going to say, well, in, in Matthew, in, in Mark, in Luke, in John, that's, that's the time that records Jesus' life. But the real truth is, uh, and, and that's what's, what's behind all this, is the whole Bible's talking about Jesus. And so, you know, everything, when, when Jesus talks to the, the Pharisees, he says, you know, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you, you possess eternal life. And Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. And it's easy for us to say, well, of course, the New Testament is about Jesus, but it hadn't been written yet. So Jesus is talking about the Old Testament scriptures are testifying about Jesus. So they, it's a cool thing to to read the Old Testament that way and see that, yes, indeed, this, this is all about Jesus. The whole message of the Old Testament is, is the Savior's coming, the Savior's coming, the Savior's coming. And the joy of being New Testament Christians is we get to rejoice that the Savior has come and is coming again. Okay. I feel like we're seeing that in our Bible reading challenge. Like the, We have a lot of um, Old Testament readings and then you do like three chapters of Old Testament and then a chapter of New Testament and just the correlation between the two and, and kind of seeing those connections. Right. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The New Testament and the Old Testament are so connected. Both sections are about Jesus, and because both sections are about Jesus, we see just a glimpse of who God is. Ephesians 5 tells us to be imitators of God and Jesus. What did God do? Well, He freely gave us His Son. As imitators, that's what we do during Christmas to celebrate our relationship with God. We imitate God by doing what He does, giving gifts. Pastor Schrader helps us to remember that. Well, I, I started thinking about that and, and yeah, thinking about these questions ahead of time and, and thinking about how we've done it in our home and, and what I remember from being a kid. I think there's a danger in, in this whole thing to to forget what giving gifts is all about. And here's what I mean by that. And, and Pastor Bitter here at St. John's preached a great sermon on Sunday where he contrasted you know, the giving of gifts and, and the principles behind the elf on the shelf and Santa and the way God acts and the way God gives. Um, so drawing the connection, I, I think with, with my own kids, I know there have been times when we've, we've bought presents and sometimes we have them wrapped and under the tree already and then there are behavioral issues as there might be and, and we threaten, you know, we, we, we don't, we're not really going to do it but we, we're trying to get them to change behavior so we say, well now we're gonna, we might take back these presents. And now I think about that and I think how horrible that is because if that's the way we're teaching them gifts come, then we're forgetting the way that God gives, you know, because God has every reason to say, well, if that's how you're going to act, well, I'm going to take back my gift to you. Right. Um, But no, God gives gifts because he loves. And and so for us to, to be able to teach that in a meaningful way and and say, you know, I give you this because I love you because you're mine Mm -hmm. uh, is, is a powerful lesson that we can teach. Now, of course, we don't go overboard and we don't give them everything they want because that's not good for them either. But to, to shower them with gifts mm-hmm. and then say, you know, this is, this is just a small picture of the way God gives gifts to us. We, we can celebrate that. Um, Pastor Schrader mentioned something pretty significant here, and we want to take some time to ponder upon it some more. God showers us with gifts. A blanket of water on grass in the early morning that shimmers in the new day sun like glitter. The perfect crunch when equal parts butter and sugar reach the temperature of 285 degrees, resulting in toffee and then topped with dark chocolate and sea salt. The sound of four notes combined to make the harmony of your favorite song. The tinkle of a child's laughter. The magic that happens when tomatoes, basil, garlic, balsamic vinegar, and olive oil sit for an hour and then plopped onto a piece of crispy bread. The feel of an ocean spray on your face and the soft grit of sand under your feet as the waves crash at your ankles. The yip of a sleeping dog. Conversation with a spouse. The diaphragm and embouchure pushing air through coils of brass resulting in horns harking the herald of angels. It's absurd. It's a surplus. We have a God of surplus. The splendor of it all are gifts to be enjoyed. For what and for why? There are a million things in this world that seem absent of God, 
Yet God made all of it. The feeling after a long workout. Giant metal tubes with wings that fly through the air so family can travel to you from Arizona in less than a day. Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life saying, Hot dog! Are these all things we should avoid because they are not overtly spiritual or taking away the reason for this season? Is not denying these things the same as a child opening up a present, giving a shrug and saying, oh well, I wanted something different. Pastor Schrader helps us navigate a biblical approach to this question. It's good for every part of life to, to not divide it up into... You know, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, but then still effectively we kind of are tempted to to break our Christmas celebrations into the Jesus part and then the worldly part. Uh, when in reality, you know, God has has brought us into this everlasting relationship with him through Jesus that brings Jesus into every part of our lives. Mm-hmm. And just to keep that, that focus, um, that when I give presents, I, I can connect that to Jesus. And I, and I give, you know, we love because he first loved us. So just to reinforce the wonderful gift of the entire season uh, and, and, and not leave Jesus out of any part of it. Right. I have a little chuckle to myself around the same time each year. For some reason, I listen to this audiobook starting around Thanksgiving. It's called Skipping Christmas by John Grisham. Yes, John Grisham wrote a Christmas novel. It's about this couple that decides to avoid Christmas at all costs, literally, and go on a cruise. You may have seen the movie version called Christmas with the Cranks, starring Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis. I want to shake them, yell at them, and say you can't stop what's happening all around you and pretend that it doesn't exist. Aren't we trying to do the same thing when we separate and compartmentalize our celebrations? We can't stop how the world celebrates Christmas, and we can't pretend that it doesn't exist either. So let's claim it back. Let's claim all of it. Every stocking, pan of fudge, ribbon, and roast beast. Let's claim it back to give glory to God that Jesus won the freedom for us to do. If we're on a battlefield of commercialism versus a biblical materialism, let us not give an inch to the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. Let us not concede that there is a distinction between spiritual and secular. No, all of it, every inch of this earth belongs to God and bows to Him whether acknowledged or not. Let us not view our celebrations as secular or religious, but more as faithful and unfaithful. Making lefso with your family, laughing at how impossibly impossible it is to get the dough thin enough, is faithful. Making sure your child has new shoes with a glad heart to greet our new king at worship Christmas morning is faithful. The warmth of popcorn in a bowl with a little salt and a little butter, singing songs together and enjoying the smell of a freshly cut Christmas tree given to you by God to enjoy. All of this is faithful. It's faithful because it brings glory to God imitates how God treats us and is made pure by the blood of Jesus. Pastor Schrader aptly reminds us of this truth and brings us back to Christ. It's a tricky thing. I mean, it doesn't mean that that we have to 
we can only sing hymns, right? right. It, do, it doesn't mean that we have to put a cross on our gingerbread house to, to sanctify that experience. <laughs> but, gingerbread church. <laughs> but it's, we're, we're getting... Tradition. We're getting into, into vocation here, right? Yeah. Like that every part of our life is the opportunity to, to glorify God with the gifts and the time and the relationships and, and, and everything that we have uh, to see masks of God behind everyone around us in the sense that, you know, every, everything that benefits me is, is God working behind the, these masks. And, and everybody that I interact with is an opportunity to serve God as I serve family and friend and neighbor um, in, in whatever opportunity I have on a daily basis. It, 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 it often doesn't look so significant to the world. It's, it's the little things, but... I'm sorry, it just started playing at the perfect time, though. <laughs> I was like, I don't have to add music to this section because the organ started the uplifting music. It's on the way out. The key is always connection you know, in, in relationship with God. And it's easy when in a, a time like this, uh, this time of year, when the schedule gets so packed to cut out the invaluable because we're trying to trying to get everything that we consider essential because it's on a schedule. And so it's it's no wonder that we we wind up missing out on perspective when all we have is is everything but our relationship with God and, and the motivation for being faithful in all those other callings. Uh, our our greatest calling will always be our our baptism and our you know our our calling as children of God and then we build everything else on top of that or or off that foundation we asked pastor Schrader if he had any more thoughts that he wanted to share with us he had some real gems if you ever get a chance to sit down and talk with your pastor ask them this same question Recently, I saw an Instagram post by Greg Morse, an author at Desiring God. Quote, Men have killed to have it. Kings have gone mad trying to find it. Wars have served it. Affairs have worshipped it. We all seek it, and billions have died without discovering its secret. Joy is not an it, but a he. End quote. Pastor reminds us of this. There are only two real religions in the world. A religion where self is God, or a religion where God is God. Well, I had some I had some thoughts about just like commercialism and materialism, and I and I started thinking that the danger there is to think that materialism is the problem, uh, when the problem is always really more meism. Because we can we can avoid materialism and we can say, well, uh, what's better than that is for me to focus entirely on my family, focus entirely on on my relationship, focus entirely on my own personal well-being, and it's really just another avenue for doing the same thing, where we're basing our our value of our lives and our days on what makes us happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's stuff. Uh, other times it might be popularity or it might be fulfillment. 
as uh, a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, things like that. And, and, and so we're always setting ourselves up for failure. C.S. Lewis said that human history is a long, tragic story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. And so, yeah, you can, you can get past materialism and still be unfulfilled, still be unsatisfied because you don't have what you really need. But as soon as, as, soon as we have that relationship with God through Christ, uh, we have forgiveness through faith, we have freedom um, in Christ, uh, then that can, can bring opportunity and, and, and a sense of fulfillment to all those other areas as well. So we, we get more joy when we remember that all these things are blessings from God instead of trying to replace God with, with any one area. So go and live freely this Christmas season. Give as an imitation and reminder of what has been given to you. What is one for you? What is yours to enjoy and to give you joy? True joy that is the true reason for the season. This is most certainly true. Quirinius. Quirinius. <laughs> Why so hard? Okay. There'll be bloopers at the end, right? <laughs> Quirinius. Okay. Sorry. Well, for all the listeners, Nick just fell over. <laughs> I'm just going to leave. Can you do it again? It's no problem. I say magi. The magi. Do you say magi? Do I need to start over? Yes. Okay, sorry. I'm going to cut all that out. Yes, thank you. All right, are we recording? Oh, okay. I don't know where I'm going with this thought. Becky, you got to recover it. This was the first census that took place while Kyrenian. That was a really good C.S. Lewis quote. Yeah. Which, was that like from a book? It's from the internet. my breath because yeah, I was like totally. cleaning up toys yeah, <laughs> and like so out of shape and I was like out of breath <sighs> okay we're gonna be late picking up the kids and everyone's gonna flip out again I can write you a note if you need it's <laughs> <laughs>